Hey, welcome to Athlete on Fire. This is Scott Jones, your host. Thank you guys so much for subscribing or tuning in today. I'm excited for today's guest. He is an ultra-running beast. He is the head man over at U.S. Sky Running, which is a worldly series that focuses on running above treeline pretty much. And uh, if you go to his site, you can just see some amazing images. He's also a really, really good ultra-runner himself. Straight out of the U.K., he now resides in California. You guys are going to really enjoy his show. I'm excited today because I actually lost this show. This is one of the first ones I did, and he was so kind to have. Uh, he's done some podcasts in the past, and he actually uh, recorded it, and he had the file, and I was so happy that he did. It was really gracious of him. So you guys will see that it was one of my earlier interviews, probably from the style, but I, I think you'll still enjoy the show overall. Now, moving on a little bit, I have been doing some shout-outs from iTunes reviews because I really appreciate when you guys... A, listen, and B, uh, give me a review because it really helps on iTunes to get a little more exposure so that more people can see what we're doing over here at Athlete on Fire. So I'm going to go over two reviews today, and the first one says, it fires you up, five-star review from Door I, whatever that means, and the review is, I love these podcasts. You can learn some new and interesting facts about some amazing athletes. The casual format makes me feel like I'm, I'm eavesdropping on a conversation and you can't not be inspired by it. Well, Dorai, thank you very much. That's kind of the way I'm moving. I, I want it to feel like I'm getting to know the guests on the show and everything is genuine and we're just having a conversation about what really inspires them to move and, and be great athletes. So thank you. Next is, it's a unique format and powerful guests, five-star rating. This is by Vanessa Runs, who I know personally, and she is an awesome runner. And uh, go to VanessaRuns.com. You'll see some really cool stuff. She's going to be a guest on the show coming up as well. Anyway, she says the unique format of this podcast really brings out the best from the guests. I also love the diversity of the guests. Keep up the great work, Scott. I'm a big fan. Well, thank you, Vanessa. I'm a big fan of yours as well. And uh, starting out something like this, you know, you're always just asking friends, family, guests, any, anybody to get reviews. So hopefully you guys will have a chance to do that. If you go to athleteonfire.com, there is a iTunes and Stitcher subscribe button on the right. If you click that, it'll take you to the review page and you can hook it up over there. Anyway, I'm excited to announce today's guest. Enjoy the show. Thanks a lot. Prepare to be inspired by some of the most successful athletes on the planet. This is Athlete on Fire, your daily source of amazing stories that will ignite your pursuit of excellence and inspire you to be and do amazing things. Now, I have one question. Are you fired up? Hey, welcome to Athlete on Fire. I am Scott Jones, your host. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, I'm here with Ian Sharman today, and Ian is a world-class ultra-runner, adventurer, and he's the director of U.S. Skyrunning. Uh, to tell you a little, about Ian, a little bit about Ian, uh, he's been racing around the world in all styles of events since 2005. He's run over 180 ultras and marathons, and he's got a wealth of experience running many mountain ranges, including the Himalayas, the Andes, the Rockies, and the European Alps. So this guy's been everywhere high in the world. Uh, he holds the fastest time in a trail 100 mile in the United States with a time of 12 hours and 44 minutes. Yes, that's 100 miles. Uh, he's got the record for the Grand Slam of Ultra Running, which we'll learn more about later on. And he is the 2013 reigning Leadville Trail 100 champion, which is a huge honor and, uh, and recognition. So before we get, get going, Ian, are you fired up, man? 
Definitely, yeah. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, I can't wait to learn more about you. You know, I know a little bit about you from a botched interview earlier in the week, but that's besides the point. Uh, you know, I'll tell you a little bit about the show. Uh, we have three segments, okay? And each segment has a different purpose. The first one is Athlete Defiance. We're going to get to know you here, starting off here shortly. Uh, and then we're going to go into Athlete on Fire, which is just the passion that it takes to be uh, a really focused athlete that you that you have. And then uh, Athlete Inspired, and we're just going to give the listeners a lot of takeaways at the end uh, so they can use some of the skills that you use to be an elite athlete and just practice them in their everyday lives. And we want people to be able to be uh, inspired and informed after the show. Sounds great. Yeah, all right. So we're going to start uh, the first segment, which is Athlete Define. And, and, you know, I've told everybody a little bit about you, Ian. Uh, if you can just take it from here and, and let us know about you, where you come from, and what you're up to, that'd be great. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I only got into running of any kind uh, in about 2004, 2005. So um, I come from the UK. You can probably tell that from my accent. But I live over in California now on the uh, east edge of the Bay Area. And um, I basically got into it all because I, I saw a TV documentary about a thing called the Marathon de Sable, which is a uh, seven-day stage race in the Sahara Desert. And I was just in the mindset of working in London, in a city, completely flat place. <laughs> I used to play a lot of sports, but um, never really running. I thought that was kind of boring. But just because I saw this show and thought that it looked like an epic adventure, I decided to enter it. And um, because of that, I started running, started doing races, and then found that I really enjoyed them. That is awesome. So what was the show? Uh, it was just a documentary about it. I think they, they tend to, in the UK in particular, have documentaries made about that event every year because it, it's the kind of thing that makes great TV. You've got sand dunes and people suffering and helicopters. You know, it looks kind of cool. Oh, that's crazy. So you go from kind of just working in London, you know, doing a, a general, you know, 20-something lifestyle, and, and you go out and try to conquer this, this crazy race. So what happened? Unfortunately, the first time um, I went there, and I knew nothing. I mean, I, I really was going at it with zero knowledge. I'd done about three marathons and one ultra going into it. So I picked up a few things. But in terms of um, really knowing what I was doing and, and a little bit of the science behind it, I didn't know what was going on. So I thought that the more water you drank, the better. I, I didn't realize there was some kind of upper limit that would might be an issue. And they give you loads of water out there to use for drinking, washing, uh, cooking, everything. And um, unfortunately, I drank all of it and uh, got hyponatremia after the first day. So that basically was watering down my blood. Um, I, I've never fainted apart from in that race. So at the start of day two, I uh, fainted twice on the start line. Then I walked through that day, and by the end of the day, I was so bad that um, uh, everything was going wrong with my body, and uh, I had to drop out at the start of day three. But um, at that point, I, I was having a miserable time. They had actually some of the worst conditions they've ever had with um, sandstorms that could, meant you could only see about 10 feet ahead of you and extremely hot, humid weather compared even to normal. Oh my <laughs> so uh, it, it was kind of extreme. But then on the way back, we're all being bussed back from the desert to this town in Morocco and everyone else has got their medal and I didn't have mine. So I decided I had to enter again. And that was the 2006 edition. Then I, the next one I could get into was 2008. Um, I went back and, and had a much better race and, and managed to come um, 13th overall. <laughs> So um, it managed to improve it from DNF to, to having a, a solid race after all. Oh, that's great. So, you, you know, we got, we got a little background on you, and uh, I love icebreakers to get to, know, to get to know the guests. So the first one is, uh, you know, just you're 15 years old, summertime somewhere, it's a Saturday morning or, or whatever day it is, and you got nothing to do. What are you going to be doing all day long? 
Uh, typically speaking, I played loads of sports, and that, that's what I mean. I used to have that kind of jack of all trades mentality with my sports. So I played all the stuff you'd expect to happen in the UK: um, soccer, a little bit of rugby, cricket, tennis, uh, squash, field hockey. I kind of played everything. Uh, the main one we'd probably play in the summertime, though, was um, going and playing five-a-side soccer. Yeah. Um, There's a, a tennis court in the village that I lived in, and we could either play tennis there or take the nets down and, and have a, a game of football. So you, you were kind of building some endurance in your youth, even even though you didn't know you'd be running hundreds, you know? Yeah, I had no idea that's what I was doing, but it definitely helped to have the background of being very, um, very, very into sports in general. So I love watching them as well, but I, I just I really like playing and chasing around after a ball, but never running. That that was just a boring thing that I didn't see the point to it. But um, I did. Now, now I look back at it, I realized that at the end of uh, any of those sports, so like 90th minute of a soccer game, I was still the guy running around loads. So it kind of makes sense that I went into an endurance sport eventually. Yeah, that's cool. So you get an idea of what you're like when you're 15. And a question I like to ask people is just, you know, tell us about your childhood. What, what, what were the values you're learning that, that kind of translate to what you're doing now? I definitely always believed in hard work, but also not in just doing doing things for the sake of it. So um, I needed to be able to see the steps it would take me to something else. So, for example, you work hard in school, um, you go to a good university, you get a good job. I could see all the steps. I, I made sure that I, I did that. Um, and then same with sports, that um, I don't like being mediocre at something. So um, I, I just played stuff that I was more into. Like, for example, I hate golf. I find it boring, I'm not very good, and I have no desire to get better. If I could get really good at any sport within 10 seconds, I'd love it. But I don't want to have that learning curve anymore. I've played enough sports that uh, my mentality is definitely to kind of focus on stuff that you can do well and then do it as well as you can. That's cool. Yeah, I've been reading a lot of stuff, and it talks about doubling down on your strengths. And uh, I think that's important because you can build confidence and you can build competency in, in a lot of things in a short period of time that way. I think it's important for kids today as well that, um, you know, they may not be the best at a given sport. Maybe they're not the best basketball player in high school, but there's there's something that they will be good at. Maybe they're a great runner, but they just don't realize it because they don't think of themselves as an athlete. Um, and I, I certainly see a lot of people in the ultra world who weren't necessarily sportsmen as they grew up, but now they're totally into their running. And, and you know, running isn't the only thing it could be, but if kids can find that that thing that really appeals to them, Everyone can be good at something. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the, the next question I have to kind of to break the ice a little bit is tell us what, what the most inspiring thing you've ever witnessed in person is that has to do with athletics or co- competition. I'd say ultra running in itself um, lends itself to, to so many inspiring moments. Just seeing anyone complete a 50-miler, especially a 100-miler, um, it's incredibly inspiring. I mean, whether it's the first person or the last person, you know all the things they've had to go through. There's no easy ride to get to that finish. But in particular, I think one of the things that stands out to me is um, when I saw a guy who was completely blind doing a marathon at the Rome Marathon. And um, he had a, a pacer with him, a guy who's kind of strapped to him, and it said on the back of it, his um, shirt that he was blind and that the guy was uh, there to help him avoid falling over. And the guy ran two hours 30 or two hours 31 for the marathon. And just thinking not just how good he was on the day, but how he probably had to have every single training run with help. Yeah. And yet he was able to train hard enough and dedicate himself to that and still be at a really high level. That is amazing. You know, I, for, for me, I'm entrepreneurial and I know you are as well. And uh, that's a good lesson, man. 
sometimes you got to lean on other people and it doesn't mean you can't do great things. It, it just mm-hmm. means that sometimes you just can't do great things by yourself and there's nothing wrong with that, you know? But also the selflessness of the other guy. Yeah. Because he's clearly an incredibly good runner to be able to go at that pace and feel kind of comfortable. So, I mean, that's like a 540 per mile pace. And the guy was just there purely for his friend, the, the blind runner. So, again, you know, both sides of that were, were really inspiring. So when he was pacing them, were they roped or was he just talking to them? Yeah, just, just some kind of rope that they both held on to. Just yeah. so they, you know, if you pull the rope, you know you're going to be turning a bit. And I'm sure they were talking to each other. I can't imagine, I mean, could you imagine doing any race with your eyes closed? No. Even if you've got someone there. I'm sure they get more used to it, but that, that was kind of um, incredible to see. I, 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 I'm, so, I'm so goofy. Sometimes I'll just shut my eyes on the sidewalk and see how far I can go without opening them. And it's usually like 20 feet, 20 meters or whatever. It's not pretty. So that's pretty no. amazing, you know. So that, that is very inspiring. And, uh, you know, I know what an ultra runner is, and, and that's kind of your title right now. So wh- why don't you tell our listeners what it means to be an ultra runner and what that is by definition? Sure. I mean, basically, an ultra race is anything above a marathon. So as soon as you get to 27 miles, it's technically an ultra. Um, we usually think of it as starting at about the 50K mark in terms of um, distances you're likely to see in races. So 50K is 31.1 miles. Um, but it can be any distance. I mean, there's, there's events that go across the whole continent from, say, L.A. to New York, 3,000 miles. Um, anything that's really, really long distance is an ultra run, basically. And it could be mountains. It could be roads. It could be anything. And uh, I, I just love the fact that it, it doesn't restrict itself that way. There's so many different things that I can do as an ultra runner and also doing shorter distance stuff. I love road marathons. Um, not as keen on 5Ks and 10Ks because they're kind of painful in comparison, but um, it, it just means basically running a really long way, and so you've got to enjoy it to do that because you've got a lot of time um, often on your own as well. So you've got to be comfortable being with yourself in the middle of nowhere often. Yeah, no, that's really quiet. I interviewed a guy the other day, Richard Bowles, in, in Australia, who, who ran a trail uh, over 5,000 kilometers. And uh, I can't remember how long it took him. It was a couple, few days ago, but just inspiring. People are doing some amazing things in, in the ultra world right now. It's pretty cool. And there's always someone who's done more. That's the even crazier thing. No matter how hardcore the race you go to, there's always going to be someone there who's done another level. So if you go to a a 100-mile race, you'll meet someone who's done a hard 100-mile race. You go to that race, you'll meet someone who's run a 2,000-mile race. You'll, you know, it goes up and up. And there's even a guy I know who recently finished a round-the-world run where he did something like 20,000 miles in a couple of years. So there's always something that makes you think, I can, I can do more, and it's possible humanly to do more. Yeah, and it, it looks like you're, and we'll talk about it a little bit, it looks like the way you're doing more is by doing it faster, which is pretty cool. That's kind of the aim, mainly. But still, 100 miles is, is the upper end of, of what most people tend to race. Yeah. All right, so, and, and I feel like we we got to know you pretty good in that segment. We're going to move on to uh, to the Athlete on Fire segment. And and as a definition for, for Athlete on Fire, if you're, if this is the first time you've listened to us. Uh, there's just a period of time uh, in every athlete's life where everything's just kind of firing uh, on the right cylinder. And, uh, you know, it might happen a couple of times. It might happen as a young athlete, and then you go work for a while, and you come back as an ultra runner like you did. Uh, and it might be a career. Or it might be the Olympics. Um, but the whole point is that there's this focus that comes with being an athlete on fire, and, and we want to tap into what that is for you, Ian. So, uh, sure. We're going to start off this segment with uh, with a quote from you and something that really inspires you, if you want to go ahead. Sure. I mean, I think this is actually the uh, the motto of the British Army, but it's be the best you can be. Uh, and I definitely feel that 
there's no point being average in life. Um, everyone can excel at something, so you've just got to find whatever your niche is and, and go for it. So you're, uh, you, you know, we'll talk about all kinds of, of good things that you've done in, in our athletes in general, but uh, you mentioned the uh, Marathon de Sable and, uh, yeah. and how you kind of failed with the hypernatremia. So can, can you tell us another time when you, were, when you thought you were prepared and you went out there and you just absolutely bumped, hit the wall? Yeah, I mean, given I've done so many races, some of them go well, some of them not as well. And that's one of the nice things, actually, about racing a lot, that you can quickly move on and go, okay, today wasn't my day. Um, I mean, just recently I did a, a road marathon. I was trying to go for my PR. Um, didn't manage to, but still, once you realize that the goals that you initially had, the highest goals aren't going to be there, one of the main things you have in ultra running is you've always got to have a B and a C and a D and an E goal so that you can still have a reason to push yourself. So even when it's not the optimum day, you still dig in. So, I, you know, I had about four different finish times I had in my head, um, even slower ones than, than the target. Uh, and each of those was a, there was an incentive to keep pushing myself as much as I could to try and hit them. So um, I find that, that that applies to anything in life, really, that, you know, you've got to aim high, but also be able to still do the best you can on, in whatever it is, athletics, uh, work, whatever. So how are you able to switch? When, okay, let's say your goal was a 225 marathon, okay? When you know at a certain point in the race that you're not going to reach that, how quickly and how do you switch to your second goal? Um, as soon as I can tell the pace is not going to be sustainable, um, in my head there's going to be probably a mile or so of disappointment there, but you, can't, you, know, you have to keep pushing. And you, you just see as well if things turn around for a couple of miles and, and whether you'll be able to get back on the pace you want. Um, but generally speaking, it's to think, okay, it goes from being a PR attempt to some other target. Uh, and it's, it's a very quick switch because in an ultra you've always got to do that. You, you have ideas of what you'd like to do, but maybe it's a hotter day. Maybe um, it's muddier. There could be a whole load of things. So that mentality from the ultra side helps even with the road races. Um, and then, you know, there's lots of other reasons that I might have to keep pushing. Maybe it's to get a position in the race. Um, maybe it's to, to get still, you know, another exact time. So uh, there's always a reason to push and not give up. And also the fact that I know that every time I give up, it makes it harder to push the next time. So that is always my last resort, knowing that if I, if I kind of give in and, and don't try, then uh, next time is going to be harder to, to really nail it. That, that's going in the show notes because that is such a good tip for, for most people out there that, that want to do well at something, but they keep on stopping before they hit that, that point where they really make some gains. So that's, that's huge. Uh, so we know you're competitive. You don't put up times like you do without being competitive. So uh, do you feel like there's a life experience or, or something that happened to you that's given you an edge in competition? Um, I, I would say maybe the fact that I, I've always been relatively small. <laughs> you know, I'm a short guy. I'm five foot eight. Uh, I've never been that massive, tall, um, you know, athlete that you might think of. That doesn't matter as much for the, um, the UK sports typically, while American sports, that would have been much more of a – uh, an issue for you know basketball or American football that you, you've got to be big, but um, maybe it's a little bit of that. Um, but just generally, I'd, I've I know I've always had that competitive desire to to try and push myself and and academics everything else. You, and uh, it, it just it, you know after a while it just becomes your mentality and it really helps when you want to race. Do you when you race do you can do you compete with the edge? Do you have a chip on your shoulder? Are you angry? Are you relaxed? Are you mad? You know like what what's your mentality there? 
Um, I'd say I, I probably always feel like I have to prove something, even though it's mainly to myself. Yeah. So even if I've just had my best result ever, I always think, you know, you're only as good as your, your last race. So if the one that I'm doing today doesn't go well, that's my current level. And so I need to make that as good as possible. Yeah. So, so you, don't, you don't let off the gas very often. Well, I do, I do a lot of racing. Some of them are purely for training. Yeah. So um, I, you can't give it your all in every single race, especially as I do typically about 12 to 15 marathons and ultras each year. So if I were to go all out in all of them, I wouldn't just be physically drained. I'd be mentally drained as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd say some of them I, I know I'm not caring about them as much. How many, when you're putting your schedule together, how many peaks do you have in a year? How many races do you really gear up for? I would say probably about four. Yeah. So more, more than you think of for like a professional marathoner. They typically have a spring and a fall marathon, and that's it. But ultra runners tend to peak a little bit more often. And, and maybe part of that is that the intensity is less than it is for a, a marathoner. But also... Um, in many other ways, it's more exhausting. I mean, I'm, my body is a lot more destroyed after a 100-miler than after a marathon, no matter how hard I push in the marathon. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, I've consulted with people a lot, and just letting, letting people know that the elites are only gearing up once, you know, once, twice, and, you know, in your case, at the most four times a year. You know, mm-hmm. if you're a weekend warrior and you're trying to PR every weekend in the 5K and you see your times getting worse – you're overtraining, and it's it's not a tough concept to grasp. But when you're trying, when you're competitive, sometimes it is. You know, it's difficult sometimes to to hold off because you always want to do more. Uh, and I see that with so many ultra runners, and particularly people I coach, they sometimes try and line up too many targets, and that just means that all of them are a little bit worse rather than trying to nail it in a few of them. And I'm guilty of this myself. I, I race more than I should if I was purely trying to peak, but that's partly as well that I just like racing. And this is the same with, with many of the people I speak to in the ultra world, that it just depends on what your goals are. If you want to try and do the best possible race you can at some big target event, then you need to spend a long time building up to that. While if you want to um, just go out there and enjoy lots of events and meet people at them, then maybe you can afford to do more of them at a lower intensity. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of athletes need, to, you know, they're their worst enemy because the c- competition is is the drug, you know, and that's what's addicting. Mm-hmm. And and that's why coaching is so important and mentorship is so important. And, uh, you know, coaches are there to keep keep players and keep athletes away from themselves a lot of times. Exactly. There's someone to be accountable to and someone to be an independent third party who can really um, make sensible decisions for you based on more experience, ideally, than the, the runner themselves has. Yeah, so we've been talking general uh, competition in, in athletics. Let's talk about you specifically. You have some some really cool uh, uh, milestones that you've hit this year. Uh, first with Rocky Raccoon, the hundred miler. Uh, you, if you want to tell us a little story about that race and like and really just put it in perspective what twelve twelve forty four means for sure. For well, that was actually a, a couple of years ago, but um, that's kind of what allowed me to to get into ultra running in a bigger way and to get some sponsorships and things like that. But um, it's typically one of the fast 100-mile trail races in the, in the U.S. It doesn't have a huge amount of vertical gain, and, uh, and so it's very runnable the whole way, while a lot of these races are in the mountains, and that slows you down a, a lot. And uh, just randomly, a load of really fast guys decided to enter about two weeks before, and that made a lot more attention be on the race. Um, and so I, I just decided I was going there with the chance of meeting all these famous ultra runners that I'd read about in magazines, and I'd, I'd seen their blogs and, and that kind of thing. And uh, then after about mile six, um, suddenly I was ahead of all of them. And there's this one guy who'd zoomed off at the beginning, but he eventually dropped out. Uh, and I caught him 30 or so miles into it. Who's that? Um, 
Zach Gingrich. Okay. He, he's won Bad, Badwater 135 mile once before yeah. and, and won plenty of races. Nice. And he's a very fast starter. But um, I, I just thought, yeah, I'll, I'll go there, see how things work, um, and just try and look after myself the whole way. And then eventually was pulling away and, and managed to win it by about half an hour and, and break the, the course record there by uh, 32 minutes. And, then, uh, and that was also... 32 minutes under the fastest time in, in North America ever because that course had the fastest um, time anyone had done. Nice. So what, what was that pace for you per mile? I think it works out as 7.38 per mile. That is, that is absolutely ridiculous, by the way. <laughs> I'm trying. It seemed normal at the time, and that, that's the point. In 100 mile, you can't be pushing really, really hard the whole time. Yeah. Towards the end, yes, but you've got to be going at a pace that feels sustainable to you, and that was what it felt like all day, really. So... This is a challenge. Anybody listening, um, please be in a little bit of uh, shape before you go do this. Go run five miles at a seven-minute pace uh, and times that by 20 and tell me how it works out. All right? <laughs> so uh, so then, uh, you know, this past year, uh, of course, you won Lead Bill, and this is the year that you won the Ultra, or the, um, I'm sorry, the Grand Slam of Ultras. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can just tell us a little bit about the Grand Slam and Lead Bill really quick, that'd be great. Sure. I mean, it's uh, an event that's been going on for about uh, 30 years or so. And back in the 80s, there only were 400 milers in the U.S. Now there's well over 100. And one guy decided to just do them all. And this became a thing. Uh, one of the races has since changed from uh, from that. Uh, but they're all, it's, th- it's the three oldest plus one other one is almost as old. And um, the idea is that you do them in one summer. And then the combined time is the Grand Slam of Ultra Running. And those races are... Western States 100 in California in June. In July, there's the Vermont 100, then Leadville Trail 100 in August, and in the beginning of September is the Wasatch Front 100 in Utah. Awesome. So how, how, how badly did you beat that record? The old record was just under 75 hours for the total time, and I did just under 70 hours. So I, I knocked about five hours off. Nice. So are you going to try to defend? Um, no, if, if someone beats that, then good luck to them. That, that was the hardest summer of my life. <laughs> it was typically three to four weeks between 100-milers. Uh, Leadville's all at high altitude. Pretty much all of it's above 10,000 feet, and I live at sea level. Um, and Wasatch Front, as well, is all up high in the mountains. So it, it just destroyed me by the end of it, particularly because the last of those four is by far the hardest. Yeah. Um, to give you an idea, Wasatch has got about 26,500 feet of climbing and the same amount of descending. So it's basically the equivalent in 100 miles of running from sea level to the top of Everest and back down. Oh, my goodness. So how do you push through the the, the leg, the dead legs? I mean, you know, when you, when you line up, you've already done three ultras a few months earlier. How, how do you get through that? Um. It did definitely feel a little bit harder as things got on, but it was more that I felt like I lost some pace, um, and in some ways my endurance actually increased, but I was definitely tired by the last one, and even more so after that. Um, really, it's just about managing your effort level, um, as it would be in any race, but just with the knowledge that you've done more and that your legs are already more tired. Awesome. So we, we've kind of delved into some of your competition and, and seen some amazing things. And I'm going to I'm going to post all the links to these to these races so people can just see, first of all, how difficult they are. And, and secondly, maybe why you do them, because they're really inspiring places with amazing views. And I think that's why a lot of uh, runners choose to to run trails like that. I think so. I mean, a 100-miler, one of the best things about them typically is that if it's in the mountains, you'll get so much deeper into those um, incredibly scenic places than you would if you just go hiking. 
Um, because in 100 miles, you can go a long way <laughs> and you can get into the middle of very remote areas with that kind of distance. Yeah, that's awesome. So so we're going to move on down there a little bit. For competition, do you have any weird or funky habits or superstitions? Not really. No, I mean, uh, I don't even eat that much before a race. So uh, in the past, I used to do the traditional big pasta meal the night before. Then after a couple of years, I realized that uh, the reason I kept having stomach problems in races was that I was eating so much that my stomach was full at the start of a race. So even for breakfast, I have um, hardly anything like a, a cliff shot uh, gel and, and maybe a little bit more, but kind of the race food I'll be having during the day rather than um, oatmeal or some normal breakfast thing. Yeah, so for for these long races, what do you eat? So much. <laughs> That's the thing. People, people go, do you eat in, in one of these? But yeah, you, you eat a lot of food. So in a marathon, you know, you might have two or three gels or something like that. In a 100-miler, I could have 50 gels, 5-0 gels. So wow. a huge amount of, of sugar and calories that way. Um mainly the race food that's designed for athletes like that, but also at every aid station, and, and typically they might be, say, five or six miles apart, I'll try and graze on a few different things and, and get a variety of, um, of normal types of food as well. And they tend to have um, snack food on top of that. So they'll have things like pretzels and chips and uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and stuff like that. Nice. Yeah, a lot of people are in, are pretty interested in, in how in the heck can you digest while you're running that long, but you have to. you got to get those carbs in there. You need to eat more because of how much you're going to burn off. Yeah. But um, also the fact is you're going at a lower intensity. That's what people need to appreciate in it. If you were running at marathon intensity, there's no way you could eat the kind of amounts per hour you would in a, in a 100 miler. But when your intensity is lower, the digestive system can work just that little bit more. But still, most people have major is issues digesting in races. Uh, and I have occasionally, especially towards the end of a 100 miler, it gets very difficult because everything in your body stops working properly. Yeah, that's... Uh, I'm sure there's not too many people who are listening who felt that, but it's pretty <laughs> interesting. So, all right, so that's kind of a funky habit. Do you have any habits that that you think help with your success on a daily basis that you can share with people? I, I would say that the one is it's more the mental side of things. And ultras in general, the longer it is, the more the mental side comes in, as opposed to just pure physical fitness. Um, but it's that I always try and pick the hardest option. And by that, I mean, let's say you're doing a, a run and you could cut the corner or you could go the long way or you could go on the flat section or you could go over a little bump. If you always get used to picking the hardest option, it helps just make you that little bit stronger so that you can deal with anything that gets thrown at you. So if suddenly um, you go off course in a race and it's on the trails and that happens a lot, that you sometimes get lost for a mile or two, um, you can deal with that better because you think, okay, I, I've dealt with hard options always, so I've not tried to, to cut corners and, and go for the easy option. Therefore, just mentally, you can handle things so much better, uh, and that, that is probably the key skill, even more so than any physical attributes. Oh, that's great. That's great advice for everything. Uh, so, you know, we're kind of coming to the end of the Athlete on Fire segment, and uh, yeah, I feel like we've kind of gone on the journey with you and, and really learned about some things that you're doing. Uh, I'm going to go... We're going to go to the next segment, which is the athlete inspired, and we're going to just give people a lot of good takeaways uh, that they can they can use on their own, and and go into a little more of the inspirational part of what you're doing, uh, which has to do with travel and and, and sure. the the series that you direct, which is really neat. Uh, but before we go there, I, I, I want to put you on the spot a little bit, okay? So okay, I put together a quiz since you do ultra runs and really long distance events. Uh, I thought it'd be cool to quiz you on on really short things 
things that are really okay. small. Okay. <laughs> so hopefully, I really hope you you fall flat on your face on this. To be honest with you. <laughs> All right. So, okay. So the first question is, uh, how tall is the world's shortest man? And this is multiple choice: A, thirty-six inches; B, twenty-one and a half inches; C, eight inches; or D, forty-two and a half inches. Um, I'm going to go for the 21-inch option there. Ding, ding. Actually, you are correct. <laughs> it, it is uh, uh, Chandra, I'm going to destroy this name, Chandra Bahadur Deng of Nepal. Okay, I think I saw a TV show about him. Oh, man. So have I you, cheated there. Have you been to Nepal? <laughs> I have been to Nepal. Yeah, I did a, a race that went from Everest Base Camp back down to uh, a town called Jiri. And then you drive to Kathmandu. So oh, wow. absolutely spectacular. I mean, all mountain ranges tend to be amazing, but the Himalayas are just another level. Oh, man. I, 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 that's on the bucket list for sure. All right, question number two. Next time you go there, you've got to say hi to Chandra. Blah, 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 <laughs> dang. Uh, so question number two. How long is the world's shortest song? A, 4.23 seconds. B, 0.12 seconds. C, 1.316 seconds. Or D, 1 nanosecond. Uh, I'm going to go for one nanosecond. Incorrect. Uh, Actually, C, 1.316 seconds. And I picked this one because it's by a British band, <laughs> and they're called Napalm Death, and the okay. song is called You Suffer. <laughs> Not for long, you don't. <laughs> yeah, for like uh, almost a second and a half. So next time you're in the UK, go holler at Napalm Death for us. That'd okay. be great. And the very last one is, uh, what is the name of the shortest movie ever? A, the one-second film. B, the half-second film. C, the quarter-second film. Or D, this is a really stupid quiz. I, I, I'm going to be nice to you, and I'll say the half-second film. Incorrect. It is the one-second film, actually. Uh. That is the name of the movie. Look it up. It's on the internet. It's got to be accurate. Sorry about that, everybody. So, uh, <laughs> so we're going to move on to athlete inspired, and this is just some stuff uh, that we really want to be selfless about and give to these listeners. So, uh, the very first question is, is still about you, and uh, I kind of want to know if legacy is important to you. Um, I'd, I'd like to think that when I, I leave the sport, that I've had some kind of impact on it, and I've left um, some things out there that'll be thought of as um, have enhanced the sport. And the main thing here, rather than records or anything like that, because they always get broken, and, and you know, maybe that um, interests people for a while. But the main thing I'm thinking of is the uh, U.S. Sky Running series that I, I organise. Um, and sky running is ma it's mainly been European, but it's been around for about 20 years. They have had some races in the U.S., particularly Colorado. And they are just the most hardcore, high alpine, um, rugged, beautiful races you can imagine. So typically they kind of just go straight up the top of the mountain and run back down without necessarily a trail. Uh -huh. So that's, that's how it kind of originated. Uh, and so given that I'm directing this new series in the US, I hope that even when I'm, I've moved on and someone else is directing it, that, um, that you know, that's a really good legacy and that it, it brings something to the US racing scene. Yeah, that's great. So is, uh, is this something that people can find and, and sign yeah, up for? Yeah, uh, it's at um, usskyrunning.com, and you can see all the races that are involved uh, all over the country, but mainly in the higher areas, and um, just incredible races from uh, as short as a 5K up to a uh, 56-miler. Oh, wow. That's great. 
and and definitely, I mean, legacy is, is usually defined by other people, and if if you can bring things to, to other people, then then you're going to have a good legacy. Uh, so so the second thing is is what or who in the world is inspiring you right now? Um, again, I'd say within my sport, it is one of the more inspiring types of places to be, and and you get to meet so many people that are inspiring for different reasons, but. I think uh, a couple of the people who stand out are probably Haile Gabrielassi, the uh, Ethiopian uh, marathon previous world record holder. He's got plenty of Olympic gold medals, and uh, I read his book uh, about uh, his life, and he's just an inspirational figure for his country. He really wants to improve the country and bring it out of poverty, and I imagine at some point in the near future he'll actually be their president as well. But, uh, you know, just one of those guys that strikes you as an awesome person as well as awesome athlete. Oh, that's really cool. And actually, the next question is, is there, is there a book that you can recommend? And uh, really, I'd great. recommend that one, yeah, Gabriel Selassie's um, autobiography, I think it is. I can't remember if it's biography or autobiography. Oh, cool. So have you been to Ethiopia? No. No, I know some people who have. They, they have, uh, obviously, a lot of races out there that are incredibly fast, <laughs> yeah. given how many uh, amazing marathon runners they have. But um, I've I've never had a chance to to meet any many of those guys. I've met a couple of elite Ethiopians and Kenyans at various marathons. Yeah. And what always strikes you is just how humble they are, like yeah. over the top humble. They they have no idea how good they are. Yeah. It's just a job. You know, there's a bunch of them that will be at a race and they just chat and and are so timid almost. Yeah. So have you read the book uh, More Fire? No. It's actually, it's a uh, it's about the Kenyan endurance runners. It's pretty cool. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, let's check it out. And I'm looking through these questions. Um, just kind of we're wrapping close to wrapping things up here, and uh, I want you to be able to share some of the things that you're working on right now. Uh, you know, what, what's your race schedule? How can we get connected with you? What what kind of people do you want to reach out to you and 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 shoot an email? You know? Sure. I mean, the, the main job I have is I'm a, a ultra running coach, and I do that via the internet, um, via Skype and email and online training plans. And um, if you go to shamanian.com, that's my, my website there. It also has a link to my blog, and I, I post things about um, training advice, uh, race reports, just general stuff of interest to anyone who's into ultras or wonders what the hell all that's about. Um, and uh, so that's the main thing that I'm doing all the time, as well as uh, directing this U.S. Skyrunning series. But I try and keep my finger in a few different parts to, to be involved in the ultra world as much as possible. I also write articles, so I, I'm a, a columnist for Ultra Running Magazine um, and IRunFar.com. But uh, I just try and get involved as much as I can in the sport because I love it and I love the people involved. Yeah, it's a passionate group, and you know I'll, I'll definitely link up all, all of those uh, sites to our show notes so people can get a hold of you and, and see what you're doing and what you're writing. And uh, yeah, before, before we wrap up, I, just, I want to take everything back to the beginning of the interview. And I want to bring you back to the 15-year-old version of yourself and, and speak to your old version and, and speak to the youth of today. Um, what can they do? What, what can kids do to either do what you're doing or, or do something that they're passionate about right now? Well, to do ultra running, I think the important thing is not to jump in and do things too much too soon. I mean, running itself, once you get past a little hump at the beginning of it, you can then start to enjoy it. Even the fittest people, and um, I, I certainly find that this is the case with me, um, will often have runs that aren't very good. They'll have the first few miles that might feel bad, and then you kind of feel better after that, and the run is, is, goes well. But um, a, a lot of people, I think, get stuck at that hump, whether they're kids or adults, where they, they try and do a run, and they go a couple of miles, and they feel like crap, and so they give up. When... 
if you just get a little bit more fitness than that, you can get past that level where it can be more enjoyable, it can be more relaxing, and your body accepts it. So um, as with everything, you know, you, you've got to give it a chance to get into it, uh, and that's the same with anything endurance or fitness-based. Awesome, man. That's great advice. And I just got to tell you, I've had an amazing time listening to you and listening to your stories today. Uh, I want to thank you so much for your time and insight today. Thanks for having me on. Like I said, it's been great to chat to you. Yeah, and uh, I want to thank everybody out there listening. I'm Scott Jones, your host. And today you guys were inspired by Ann Sharman, who is definitely an athlete on fire still. <laughs> thank you. Boom. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to Athlete on Fire. Stay fired up with additional resources and information at athleteonfire.com.